Chapter sixty four of the Life and Adventures of Nicholas Nickleby. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. Nicholas Nickleby by Charles Dickens. Chapter sixty four. An old acquaintance is recognized under melancholy circumstances, and Dotheboys Hall breaks up for ever. Nicholas was one of those whose joy is incomplete unless it is shared by the friends of adverse and less fortunate days. Surrounded by every fascination of love and hope, his warm heart yearned towards plain John Browdie. He remembered their first meeting with a smile, and their second with a tear, saw poor Smike once again with a bundle on his shoulder, trudging patiently by his side, and heard the honest Yorkshireman's rough words of encouragement as he led them on their road to London. Madeline and he sat down very many times jointly to produce a letter which should acquaint John at full length with his altered fortunes, and assure him of his friendship and gratitude. It so happened, however, that the letter could never be written. Although they applied themselves to it with the best of intentions in the world, it chanced that they always fell to talking about something else, and when Nicholas tried it by himself, he found it impossible to write one half of what he wished to say or to pen anything indeed which on re-perusal did not appear cold and unsatisfactory compared with what he had in his mind at last after going on thus from day to day and reproaching himself more and more he resolved the more readily as madeline strongly urged him to make a hasty trip into yorkshire and present himself before mr and mrs browdie without a word of notice Thus it was that between seven and eight o'clock one evening he and Kate found themselves in the Saracen's Head booking office, securing a place to Greta Bridge by the next morning's coach. They had to go westward to procure some little necessaries for his journey, and, as it was a fine night, they agreed to walk there and ride home. The place they had just been in called up so many recollections, and Kate had so many anecdotes of Madeline and Nicholas so many anecdotes of Frank and each was so interested in what the other said, and both were so happy and confiding, and had so much to talk about, that it was not until they had plunged for a full half-hour into that labyrinth of streets which lies between Seven Dials and Soho, without emerging into any large thoroughfare, that Nicholas began to think it just possible that they might have lost their way. The possibility was soon converted into a certainty, for on looking about and walking first to one end of the street, and then to the other, he could find no landmark he could recognise, and was fain to turn back again in quest of some place at which he could seek a direction. It was a by-street, and there was nobody about, or in the few wretched shops they passed. Making towards a faint gleam of light which streamed across the pavement from the cellar, Nicholas was about to descend two or three steps, so as to render himself visible to those below, and make his inquiry, when he was arrested by a loud noise of scolding in a woman's voice. Oh, come away, said Kate. They are quarrelling. You'll be hurt. Wait one instant, Kate. Let us hear if there's anything the matter, returned her brother. Hush! You nasty, idle, vicious, good-for-nothing brute, cried the woman, stamping on the ground. Why don't you turn the mangle? So I am, my life and soul, replied a man's voice. I'm always turning. I'm perpetually turning. Like a damned old horse in a demnition mill. My life is one damned horrid grind. Now why don't you go and list for a soldier, retorted the woman. You're welcome to. For a soldier, cried the man, would his joy and gladness see him in a coarse red coat with a little tail? Would she hear of his being slapped and beat by drummers, damnably, 
which he have him fire off real guns and have his hair cut and his whiskers shaved and his eyes turned right and left and his trousers pipe clayed dear nicholas whispered kate you don't know who that is it's mr mantalini i'm confident do make sure peep at him while i ask the way said nicholas come down a step or two come drawing her after him nicholas crept down the steps and looked into a small boarded cellar there amidst the clothes baskets and clothes stripped up to his shirt sleeves but wearing still an old patched pair of pantaloons of superlative make a once brilliant waistcoat and a moustache and whiskers as of yore but lacking the lustrous dye there endeavouring to mollify the wrath of a buxom female not the lawful madame mantalini but the proprietress of the concern and grinding meanwhile as if for very life at the mangle whose creaking noise mingled with her shrill tones appeared almost a deafening there was the graceful elegant fascinating and once dashing mantalini ah you false traitor cried the lady threatening personal violence on mr mantalini's face false oh damn now my soul my gentle captivating bewitching and most demnedly enslaving chickabiddy be calm said mr mantalini humbly i won't screamed the woman i'll tear your eyes out oh what a damn savage lamb cried mr mantalini you're never to be trusted screamed the woman you were out all day yesterday and gallivanting somewhere i know you know you were it isn't enough that i paid two pound fourteen for you and took you out of prison and let you live here like a gentleman but you must go on like this breaking my heart besides i will never break its heart i will be a good boy and never do so any more i will never be naughty again i beg its little pardon said mr mantalini dropping the handle of the mangle and folding his palms together it's all up with its handsome friend he has gone to the damnation bowos it will have pity i will not scratch and claw but pet and comfort oh damn it very little affected to judge from her action by this tender appeal the lady was on the point of returning to some angry reply when nicholas raising his voice asked his way to piccadilly mr mantalini turned round caught sight of kate and without another word leapt at one bound into a bed which stood behind the door and drew the counterpane over his face kicking meanwhile convulsively damn it he said in a suffocating voice it's little nickleby shut the door put out the candle turn me up in the bedstead oh damn 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 the woman looked first at nicholas and then at mr mantalini as if uncertain on whom to visit this extraordinary behaviour but mr mantalini happening by ill luck to thrust his nose from under the bedclothes in his anxiety to ascertain whether the visitors were gone she suddenly and with a dexterity which only could have been acquired by long practice flung a pretty heavy clothes basket at him with so good an aim that he kicked more violently than before though without venturing to make any effort to disengage his head which was quite extinguished thinking this a favourable opportunity for departing before any of the torrent of her wrath discharged itself upon him nicholas and kate hurried off and left the unfortunate subject of this unexpected recognition to explain his conduct as best he could the next morning he began his journey it was now cold winter weather forcibly recalling to his mind under what circumstances he had first travelled that road and how many vicissitudes and changes he had since undergone he was alone inside the greater part of the way and sometimes when he had fallen into a doze and rousing himself looked out of the window and recognised some place which he well remembered as having passed either on his journey down or in the long walk back with poor smite and that they were still plodding wearily on towards london with the world before them to render these recollections the more vivid 
it came on to snow as night set in and passing through stamford and grantham and by the little alehouse where he had heard the story of the bold baron of grosvig everything looked as if he'd seen it but yesterday and not even a flake of white crust on the roofs had melted away encouraging the train of ideas which flocked upon him he could almost persuade himself that he sat again outside the coach with squeers and the boys and that he heard their voices in the air and that he felt again but with a mingled sensation pain and pleasure now that old sinking of the heart and longing after home while he was yet yielding himself up to these fancies he fell asleep and dreaming of madeline forgot them he slept at the inn at greta bridge on the night of his arrival and rising at a very early hour next morning walked to the market town and inquired for john browdie's house john lived in the outskirts now he was a family man and as everybody knew him nicholas had no difficulty in finding a boy who undertook to guide him to his residence dismissing his guide at the gate and in his impatience not even stopping to admire the thriving look of cottage or garden either nicholas made his way to the kitchen door and knocked lustily with his stick halloa cried a voice inside what be the matter now be the turn of fire dang but you're making a noise enough with these words john browdie opened the door himself and opening his eyes to their utmost width cried as he clapped his hands together and burst into a hearty roar eh god it be the godfeather it be the godfeather till he be here mr nickleby gives the hand man come away come away in we are down beside the fire take a sup of that do not say a word till those drunk it up we it mun dear but i'm right glad to see thee adapting his action to his text john dragged nicholas into the kitchen and forced him down upon a huge settle beside a blazing fire poured out from an enormous bottle about a quarter of a pint of spirits thrust it into his hand opened his mouth and threw back his head as a sign to him to drink it instantly and stood with a broad grin of welcome overspreading his great red face like a jolly giant i might a knowed said john that nobody but thou would have come with such a knock as you that was a way thou knocked out schoolmaster's door eh <laughs> but i say what be this about schoolmaster you know it then said nicholas they were talking about it down town last night replied john but none of them seemed quite to understand it like after various shiftings and delays said nicholas he has been sentenced to be transported for seven years for being in the unlawful possession of a stolen will and after that he has to suffer the consequence of a conspiracy phew cried john a conspiracy some at the powder plot were there some in the guy fawkes line no no a conspiracy connected with his school i'll explain it presently ay that's right said john Ex explain it after breakfast not now for those beast hungries so am i and tilly she'll be at the bottom of explanations for she says that's mutual confidence ha <laughs> ha it got it's a rum start is the mutual confidence the entrance of mrs Brodie with a smart cap on and very many apologies for their having been detected in the act of breakfasting in the kitchen stopped john in his discussion of this grave subject and hastened the breakfast which being composed of vast mounds of toast new-laid eggs boiled ham yorkshire pie and other cold substantials of which heavy relays were constantly appearing from another kitchen under the direction of a very plump servant was admirably adapted to the cold bleak morning and received the utmost justice from all parties at last it came to a close and after the fire which had been lighted in the best parlour having by this time burnt up they adjoined thither to hear what nicholas had to tell 
Nicholas told them all, and never was there a story which awakened so many emotions in the breasts of two eager listeners. At one time, Honest John groaned in sympathy, and at another roared with joy. At one time he vowed to go up to London on purpose to get a sight of the brothers Cherubal, and at another swore that Tim Linkinwater should receive such a ham by coach and carriage free as mortal knife had ever carved. When Nicholas began to describe Madeline, he sat with his mouth wide open, nudging Mrs. Browdie from time to time, and exclaiming under his breath that she must be rather a tidy sort, and when he heard at last that his young friend had come down purposely to communicate his good fortune, and to convey to him all those assurances of friendship which he could not state with sufficient warmth in writing, that the only object of his journey was to share his happiness with them, and to tell them that when he was married they must come up to see him, and that Madeline insisted on it as well as he. John could hold out no longer, but after looking indignantly at his wife, and demanding to know what she was a-whimpering for, drew his coat-sleeve over his eyes and blubbered outright. "'Tell you what, though,' said John seriously, when a great deal had been said on both sides, "'to return to school, master, if this news about him has reached school to-day, the old woman won't have a whole born in her body, nor Fanny neither.' "'Oh, John!' cried Mrs. Browdie. "'Ah, nor John again,' replied the Yorkshireman. I didn't know what them lads mightn't do when it first got about that schoolmaster was in trouble. Some fathers and mothers sent and took their young chaps away. If them as is left should know what's coming, there'll be such a revolution and rebel, ding, but I think they'll have gang daft and spilt blood like water. In fact, John Browdie's apprehensions were so strong that he determined to ride over to the school without delay, and invited Nicholas to accompany him, which, however, he declined, pleading that his presence might perhaps aggravate the bitterness of their adversity ah oh, that's true said john i should ne'er a thought o that i must return to-morrow said nicholas but i mean to dine with you to-day and if mrs browdie can give me a bed bed cried john i wish thou could sleep in flower beds at once ecod thou shouldst have em all bide till i come back only bide till i come back and ecod will make a day of it giving his wife a hearty kiss and nicholas no less a hearty shake of the hand john mounted his horse and rode off leaving mrs browdie to apply herself to hospitable preparations and his young friend to stroll about the neighbourhood and revisit spots which were rendered familiar to him by many a miserable association john cantered away and arriving at dotheboys hall tied his horse to a gate and made his way to the schoolroom door which he found locked on the inside a tremendous noise and riot arose from within and applying his eye to a convenient crevice in the wall he did not remain long in ignorance of its meaning the news of mr squeer's downfall had reached dotheboys that was quite clear to all appearance it had very recently become known to the young gentleman for the rebellion had just broken out it was one of the brimstone and treacle mornings and mrs squeers had entered the school according to custom with a large bowl and spoon, followed by Miss Squeers and the amiable Wackford, who, during his father's absence, had taken upon him such minor branches of the executive as kicking the pupils with his nailed boots, pulling the hair of some of the smaller boys, pinching others in aggravating places, and rendering himself in various similar ways a great comfort and happiness to his mother. 
their entrance whether by premeditation or a simultaneous impulse was the signal of revolt while one detachment rushed to the door and locked it another mounted on the desks and forms the stoutest and consequently the newest boy seized the cane and confronting mrs squeers with a stern countenance snatched off her cap and beaver bonnet put them on his own head armed himself with a wooden spoon and bade her on pain of death to go down upon her knees and take a dose directly before that estimable lady could recover herself or offer the slightest retaliation she was forced into a kneeling posture by a crowd of shouting tormentors and compelled to swallow a spoonful of the odious mixture rendered more than usually savoury by the immersion in the bowl of master wackford's head whose ducking was entrusted to another rebel the success of this first achievement prompted the malicious crowd whose faces were clustered together in every variety of lank and half-starved ugliness to further acts of outrage the leader was insisting upon mrs squeers repeating her dose master squeers was undergoing another dip in the treacle and a violent assault had been commenced on miss squeers when john browdie bursting open the door with a vigorous kick rushed to the rescue the shouts screams groans hoots and clapping of hands suddenly ceased and a dead silence ensued you be nice chaps said john looking steadily round what's to do here though young dogs squeers is in prison we're going to run away cried a score of shrill voices we won't stop we won't stop well then didn't stop replied john who wants thee to stop run away like men but didn't hurt the women hurrah cried the shrill voices more shrilly still hurrah repeated john well hurrah like men too now then look out hip 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 hurrah hurrah cried the voices hurrah again said john louder still the boys obeyed another said john didn't be afraid of it let's have a good un hurrah now then said john let's have one more to end we then off as quick as you like take a good breath too squares be in jail the school's broken up it's over past and gone think o that and let it be a hearty un hurrah such a cheer arose as the walls of dotheboys hall had never echoed before and were destined never to respond to again when the sound had died away the school was empty and of the busy noisy crowd which had peopled it but five minutes before not one remained very well mr browdie said miss squeers hot and flushed from the recent encounter but vixenish to the last you've been and excited our boys to run away now see if we don't pay you out for that sir if my power is unfortunate and trod down by enemies we're not going to be basely crowded and conquered over by you and tilda no replied john bluntly though aunt take my oath on that think better of us fanny i'll tell you both i'm glad the old man has been caught out at last damn glad but you'll suffer enough without any crowing from me and i be not the man to crow nor till he be the lass so i tell he flat more than that i tell ee now that if thou needs friends to help thee away from this place dinna turn up thy nose fanny thou mayst thou find tilly and i with a thought of old times about us ready to lend thee a hand when i say that dinna think i'm ashamed of what i've done for i say again hurrah and damn the schoolmaster there his parting words concluded john browdie strode heavily out remounted his nag put him once more into a smart canter carolling lustily forth some fragments of an old song 
to which the horse's hoofs rang a merry accompaniment, sped back to his pretty wife and to Nicholas. For some days afterwards the neighbouring country was overrun with boys, who, the report went, had been secretly furnished by Mr. and Mrs. Browdie, not only with a hearty meal of bread and meat, but with sundry shillings and sixpences to help them on their way. To this rumour John always returned a stout denial, which he accompanied, however, with a lurking grin, that rendered the suspicious doubtful, and fully confirmed all previous believers. There were a few timid young children, who, miserable as they had been, and as many were the tears they had shed in the wretched school, still knew no other home, and had formed for it a sort of attachment, which made them weep when the bolder spirits fled, and cling to it as a refuge. Of these some were found crying under hedges, and in such places frightened at the solitude. One had a dead bird in a little cage. He had wandered nearly twenty miles, and when his poor favourite died, lost courage and lay down beside him. Another was discovered in a yard hard by the school, sleeping with a dog, who bit at those who came to remove him, and licked the sleeping child's pale face. They were taken back, and some other stragglers were recovered, but by degrees they were claimed or lost again, and in course of time Dotheboys Hall, and its last breaking up, began to be forgotten by the neighbours, or only to be spoken of as among things that had been. End of chapter 64